Welcome to Objection to the Rule, live on Radio Free Brooklyn. I am here by, well, my name is Teresa, and I am here with my <laughs> co-hosts, Emily, Matt, and Jasmine. How are you guys doing this week? Good. good. We're, doing, we're doing good. <laughs> we're all doing exactly good at the same time. Good. <laughs> right, Jasmine, how you doing over there? Uh, I can't complain. I'm all right. Cool. I know it's like super hot. Can you guys hear my AC in the background? I can't mm. hear it. No, awesome. but, but I'm, I'm envious of it. It, it sounds yeah. very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, the dog's got to stay cool. That's really important Aww, here. So. Yeah, think of the dog. That's right. Yeah. My cat That's hasn't right. sat on my lap for like the past three or four days because it's too hot. Aw. Too yeah. hot for cat cuddles. I totally agree with that. I'm like, stay away from me. But <laughs> she still cuddles at night. So it's all good. Aww. <laughs> all right. Well, we have a bunch of news stories for you today and we are going to kick it off with some local news jasmine what's on the docket okay so this is a story that i got from the gothamist and it is concerning the occupy city hall protests that were happening since last week and this past tuesday they turned violent um, the article that i'm going to be sharing with you was written by jake offenharts and gwen hogan so this past Tuesday morning, NYPD officers arrested two people and injured several, injured several others in City Hall Park. Around 5 o'clock in the morning, dozens of cops in riot gear surrounded the group and began removing barricades that protesters had put up in the street on the north side of the occupation. As the group moved to the sidewalk, the police followed them, pushing people back and striking them with batons, according to protesters. Um, one of the activists who was there named Jet said that one minute we were dancing in the street and the next minute they were beating the shit out of us. It wasn't human. Another protester who goes by lip says that cops began playing a game of human tug-of-war with people who were at the front of the police line. He says that he saw a girl break her leg in a barrier as cops pinned protesters on top of each other. The protesters, in case um, people aren't aware, the people occupying City Hall Park are doing so because they were demanding uh, $1 billion be cut from the NYPD's budget and allocated towards social services. Uh, de Blasio on Monday, so the day before the violence happened, announced that he would support the $1 billion in cuts, but activists and some city council members uh, who voted no say that the billion that he is claiming is going to be cut is really just misleading budget tricks, and protesters intend to keep occupying City Hall through this coming Tuesday. An NYPD spokesperson said that an 18-year-old was arrested for spray-painting a statue north of City Hall. This person was charged with making graffiti, resisting arrest, obstruction of governmental administration, criminal mischief, reckless endangerment, criminal tampering, and disorderly conduct. So that's, that's a shit ton of charges. Who knows how much time that person is facing. Another person, a 20-year-old named Joseph Canaris, or K-O-N-N-A-R-I-S, they claim, the police claim, that he struck a police officer 
and he was therefore charged with assault, menacing, disorderly conduct, and harassment. Witnesses say, though, that police attacked Canaris after he called a cop a, quote, pussy. The officer pushed him and tried to hit him with the baton, so he grabbed the baton, according to Joseph Brown, who's an organizer with Street Riders NYC. He, after he grabbed the baton, like after he was hit with it, a lot of officers started pouncing on him. And there's video showing Canaris seeming to be faint and being dragged away by the police. Um, Brown added that he's, he was shocked and he says, I didn't think the police would mobilize the way they did. A lot of us got hurt. So yeah, like this is, I know that the budget um, was passed, but there's still people occupying. So we'll be keeping an eye on whether or not the violence continues or what happens with the people that have been arrested so far. That's really unfortunate. Did you guys hear um, that Cuomo frowned upon the mayor's decision to only cut one billion? Yeah. In, in which way did he frown upon it? I think he was kind of just making a mockery out of it, saying that it mm -hmm. wasn't enough. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he's been very vocal during these past few months, of course, and, you know, some people... And, you know, like the way he's leading, some people don't. But um, I read a report that said that he was, um, he basically thought that they weren't doing enough and kind of just had a few statements that stated that de Blasio needed to listen to the request of the protesters instead of trying to put a quick fix on it and serving the police instead. So mm -hmm. Cuomo, Cuomo is saying de Blasio is too appeasing of the police. Is that right? Teresa? Yeah. Yes. That's, that's pretty consensus. That's a real twist on the, the norm because yeah. de Blasio ran on a very liberal platform for New York City and Cuomo has a large base, you know, like statewide, New York's pretty red. You know, it's very blue uh, in terms of like democratic or liberal, I guess, in the city. And then like a lot of the rest of the state um, is not that way. So that's really interesting that he's just like forging ahead with the with that point of view very vocally very interesting yeah. well unfortunately because of like the silly de blasio cuomo feud or like mean girls thing it's hard to me to like to take it seriously if cuomo actually feels like that and is committed to police reform or if he's just like here's another way of me like poking fun at and like criticizing de blasio yeah, I, I haven't heard. I didn't see anything about um, Cuomo saying that. Like, I'll be sure to look into it. But um, I know a lot of people were disappointed when the budget did come down. And, you know, you have so many people that are really putting their safety on the line because they're trying to stand up for what they believe in. And to see it devolve into the police attacking them is really... It's proving the point, in my opinion, that, you know, what is their purpose other than to brutalize people? Mm -hmm. So hopefully the people that are injured will make a full recovery. Like, I feel terrible that some, a young woman had her leg broken. Yeah, that's a wild detail. It's very gruesome. Um, Previous uh, guest, Lacey Tauber, who uh, worked on Emily Gallagher's campaign, uh, just had a viral tweet 
she was on the show with us, gave us a couple of interviews, and she tweeted a series of tweets saying, like, hey, if you're disappointed on the city council for signing off on this uh, lackluster or, uh, you know, substandard uh, police reform cut or defunding of the of the police department, here are all the city council members, here are all the people that are running for their, their spots after these members leave city council. And it got a fair amount fun of uh, internet love, and but then also a lot of people that she was referencing were in fundraising mode and they just got enough money to now get the match uh, or one person in particular got enough money that now the city will match whatever they make or it's not I think it's actually like by eight a factor of eight or so so that's pretty cool that you know one of our guests got um got some political movement on uh on this and hopefully will help get people into city council that will be a little bit more active on, on this issue. Hmm. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Jasmine, for bringing that story. Any final thoughts, anyone? Um, yeah, like real quick on that budget too. It's interesting. I've seen a lot of headlines saying that like, uh, nearly $1 billion. Well, this is a New York times headline specifically. It says nearly $1 billion is shifted from police in budget that pleases no one. Uh, which is really interesting. Um, and it's one of those times where this idea of maybe compromise really isn't the answer. Um, I don't, it's, you know, where it's like, I think de Blasio is, is trying to walk this line that some somewhere, you know, some political person is telling him is the right way to handle this or, you know, some advice he's getting, but it's clearly it's, he does not have a lot of fans right now at all. Um, it's very interesting to see. Yeah, and he's also on his way out, so kind of focusing on him, It's I feel like he's sort of, there's not a whole lot to encourage him to do anything if he's already not going to be mayor for very much longer. So Right, right. It, do, it does make sense to kind of, if your goal is to continue to defund the police, to think about what are some other ways to push for that, because I, I think as far as he goes, it's a wrap. Like, he can't mm -hmm. run again. It's a really good point, Jasmine. Yeah. Yeah, everyone vote. <laughs> exactly. It's definitely time for us to make some change. All right. So I guess we will hop into our first musical break for the day. Um, this song is called Believe It. We'll be right back. Hey, believe me or you don't. You 
Welcome back to Objection to the Rule, live on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Party Next Door and Rihanna with Believe It. Uh, it is a new 2020 song, and we were just discussing, hopefully it'll be the 2020 jam. So, yeah. Yeah, and I'm waiting for Rihanna to drop this album. Like, come on, like, really, like, come yeah. on. <laughs> so cool. I was she watching is. a Rihanna makeup tutorial. And like, <laughs> of course you it's, were, Matt. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Yeah, you know, everything she does, she's she's just a pro, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love her. I love her because she's so mysterious, like you know. And it's kind of like, what's gonna happen next? We have no idea. So, mm-hmm. on the lookout for her music. All right, so we're gonna move into our national news segment. And Matt, what's on the docket? Okay, first story. Uh, prison. I was trying to make a pun, it's, so it's like instead of prison break, I wrote prison outbreak. Uh, because, as many people know, uh, the coronavirus is, has been hanging out in a lot of prisons nationwide, and it finally caught up to California, um, which is a shame because California is one of the largest uh, incarcerators. If not, I'm, I'm not sure. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they got them because they're really good at putting people in prison. But anyway, uh, so this is coming from... Where are my sources? Uh, Marshall Project, which is really great, not just as a uh, educator and uh, for journalism, but they're also just a, a very good organization for understanding the varying levels of the state of incarceration in America. And they also got a little bit of information from prisonlegalnews.org. So we've talked about the danger of the coronavirus in prison before. It's still a problem. The recent there's been a recent outbreak in San Quentin in California. Uh, quote, the transfer of inmates, an effort intended to slow the virus, which instead apparently created a new outbreak, has been denounced by health officials, a federal judge, and a growing number of state lawmakers as a public health failure. How San Quentin went from being a prison that had held off the virus for months to a place inundated with sick inmates represents a cautionary tale for the nation's prison system amid the pandemic, end quote. That's from the Marshall Project. Oddly, if taken seriously, a prison could be a safe place for people during a pandemic if it was taken very seriously, because it is a literal quarantine. But, of course, things aren't being taken seriously, and the spread of the virus continues. Quote, across the United States, the number of prisons and jail and jail inmates known to be infected has doubled during the past month to more than 80,000. Nine of the 10 largest known clusters of the virus in the United States are inside correctional institutions, end quote. 585 people have died in prison due to the virus, but they're really dying from inadequate health care and inadequate diets. These two factors have been the impetus for a federal lawsuit against a for-profit prison in Tennessee. Quote, any inmate with diabetes face daily risk to their health because of unhealthy food, unpredictable meal times, and unreliable access to insulin shot. End quote. And that's from legalnews.org. 
People with diabetes have died in prison after complaining about diabetes-induced pain, and autopsies have shown high blood sugar levels in their bodies. Yet CoreCivic, which is the name of the for-profit prison in Tennessee, their defense is, quote, that the plaintiffs in these class action cases are responsible for their own diabetes complications, end quote, which is a fairly incredible assertion to make given that prisoners have so little freedom or access to needed care or medications. Wow. My friend and colleague Spoon Jackson is in a prison just 50 miles from San Quentin and the prison that he's in, which is Solano State Prison, they've had eight cases so far. We're just waiting for them to go up. Spoon has diabetes, which makes me worried. Uh, but he's managing his levels all right. Oddly... There goes a motorcycle. Oddly, this uptick in virus may help his commutation process, which he's, uh, he and his lawyers are uh, engaged in right now. And that's pretty fucked up <laughs> that um, something as dangerous as a virus in a, in, a, in a place with a lot of vulnerable people is a good, can be, can be seen as a good thing. It just a st- uh, tells us, one indicator of how messed up things are in our prisons. Um, so, yeah, that's just a little overview of California. There have been larger outbreaks in Ohio, I think. can't remember the exact name. Um, so, not very good news. Um, any of that resonate with any of you, you all? Not particularly California prisons, but prisons in general. I feel like when... Um, COVID-19 first started, you know, there was a lot of talking about releasing of prisoners and different policies. Remember, we did our whole show um, from that perspective in regards to that population being forgotten about and not advocated for. And now as, you know, COVID-19 turns around in other places that are not New York, I feel like that, you know, they were kind of left by the wayside there were a number of people released in New York. I don't know if it was just because of the pressure that was being put on by the administration, um, but I haven't really heard of that process happening in other states, far as them, you know, releasing a certain number of prisoners who were up for parole this year or above a certain age. I haven't heard anything beyond what we reported on from New York. Yeah. There, there has been, whoo, there goes another motorcycle. So how I got to leave my window open. Uh, in California, they've been releasing a lot of people, but in California, there's just so many people in prison that when you depri- when you do early releases and release like um, other people that shouldn't be in prison anyway, it, the the numbers are are just still so high that I don't think that it's uh, it can fix the problem unless they they're more drastic in in clemency and forgiving people. Wow definitely something that needs more um focus and concentration yeah. you know mm-hmm. like always but specifically during this time we need to hear more about this and yeah. we need to be more aware of what they're doing to to help people who have been imprisoned um for so long yeah i mean it's just another story to add to the list of how this country treats prisoners and views prisoners as um barely even people you know like oh you committed a crime like you know you've been you've been convicted of a crime a lot of innocent people also end up in jail um 
and so we don't care about you as a society so you know we're gonna lock you up and throw you know and not have to think about you and not have to worry about you and really not consider it a rehabilitory a rehab I think that's the right use of that word but like a um Mm -hmm. it's not about rehabilitation right it's about getting what's considered a lesser portion of the population like out of view and away from the rest of society and that's really proving it. If you're, they're not caring about your diabetes and your like your health, you know, at the at its most basic, you know, it's just it's really proving that. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, like, one person. Sorry, sorry, Jasmine. Yeah, it's like this is. There's so many congregate settings that are showing just how flawed our system is as far as how certain people are really just warehoused. So there's prisoners. There's people who are disabled. There's the elderly, like we see like this disease is running through these institutions like wildfire, you know, and it's it's been so ingrained, I think, in our larger society and our culture to it's one of those things where like it's been so normalized that people don't even think about it. And then now with this happening, it's being forced, you know, into these news stories. And I hope that when the pandemic does eventually subside that we don't as a society go back to not thinking about these people or like re reimagining like how we can include people into society instead of thinking it's acceptable to just put them away somewhere and lock away the key because it's that's mm-hmm. not an answer for anyone warehousing is a great it's a great term to apply to this jasmine i think and i think you're right i think it that it's not just you know criminals that are warehoused it is also elderly people as well um yeah and this is like a this is a very weird time for worldwide our society and uh potentially a chance to reevaluate yeah a lot of our systems and processes whether they be you know uh criminal justice systems or policing systems environmental systems um air pollution all those things it's it's we're we're at a real crossroads right now that um could be a real chance to fix a lot of really fucked up things (laughs) hopefully yeah yeah that that was that was a cool uh a good term by by saying warehousing one term that i heard i've heard other people use when they're talking about people who are incarcerated is just calling them residents and like the word resident is actually a fairly neutral term but compared to our associations with inmates or, or or if you just say like a you know person in prison we just categorize it subconsciously or a lot of people do of of like someone who is deserving of like punitive uh and like less you know uh, a reduction in human rights <laughs> but if you just say residence like a neutral blanket term that's such an improvement that like when i started using that term uh it's you you can't help but like think of a person as a person because <laughs> like that's where they live you know and these are the places that like we pay for you know there there are institutions um. well that's really interesting that terminology because i it's almost two ways of looking at it it's either a euphemism that's being used to hide up hide how poorly they're being treated or it's a term that the more we start incorporating it the more we're forced or they're both maybe it's both things. The more we start incorporating that term, the more the people in charge are forced to recognize the humanity of the people in prison. Mm. Uh, but that's really interesting. What, was that your response? You you felt yeah, like it yeah, could yeah. be like a 
that when I, when you first said that, I thought you were going to go actually go off and talk about how they're using this terminology when they're, when they're not treating them like full, you know, citizens, mm. um, which is, you know, a real poor juxtaposition, you know, like a real mind bender. But yeah. it, you didn't I, go I can see direction. them doing that. Now that you say that, I can see, yeah. you know, like kind of like a pacification right. maneuvers for yeah, <laughs> just of all the other, propaganda, like all of it. Yeah. But um, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing, Emily. Like it, the way I see um, some language is it's like it's whitewashing what's going on. Like when you say a resident, like it, it does seem it's like incongruous with the way that the people are in this institution are being treated. Like they're not residents of like a co-op. Like they're literally being having all of their human rights stripped from them and being exploited in a lot of cases for free or extremely cheap labor. But it is one of those things where it depends on, I think it depends on the person who's reading and what they're already predisposed to think or feel about the people. Like if they say resident, that might make them feel less bad about what's going on. But then there's other people that, like you said, might be more inclined to think like, oh yeah, these are people, but I, I think it's, it's, it's not going to be like a one size fits all interpretation of that term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. That was I, a I great have... discussion. Go uh, ahead, Matt. You got another I, national story for yeah, us? I have a, a related one, um, in, in a weird way, different types of prisoners. Um, I think we have time, right? We only have two stories after this. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Okay. We're, we're uh, almost halfway through. Yeah, I think we have time. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll fly ahead. And Jasmine, you started to get a little bit quiet. I'm not sure if that was the cell phone thing or something you can do about that, but you dropped out a little bit uh, in the last second segment. Oh, I'm your here last now. Comment. Okay, yeah. yeah. Now, now you sound a little bit clearer. Okay, uh, U.S. bans prison labor weaves. Okay, what does that mean? This is from Al Jazeera, and I got some supplementary stuff from Business Insider, which is kind of a, uh, I wouldn't say disreputable. <laughs> like, they do kind of like BuzzFeedy type stuff, but they also do have like some pretty interesting, weird little stories. So... Federal authorities in New York on Wednesday seized a shipment of weaves and other beauty accessories sus uh, suspected to be made out of human hair taken from people locked inside a Chinese internment camp. Both the exporters are in China's far west, Xinjiang region, where over the past four years, the government has held an estimated one million or more ethnic Turkic minorities in so-called re-education camps. The ethnic minorities are held in internment camps and prisons where they are subjugated, or subjected to ideological discipline, forced to denounce their religion and language, and physically abused. China has long suspected the Uyghurs, who are mostly Muslim, of harboring separatist tendencies because of their distant, distinct cultural language language and religion. Okay, end quote. That was um, the Al Jazeera opening. So the U.S. is starting to uh, do a little bit more than just tariffs on China, uh, which is, you know, something. Uh, but how come the world hasn't put 
how come the, the world at large hasn't hasn't uh, stood up to China? How come people, the, you know, the the, um, the UN was the one that designated over a million people being locked up? Like this isn't like a fringe conspiracy, but collectively the world isn't really doing much to address this. Uh, and so I kind of just typed that into <laughs> to the internet. Like why aren't people? Why isn't this a bigger deal? And a Guardian article postulates that, one, you just don't want to mess with China's economic power. Two, China has done a pretty good job of keeping information locked down. It's hard to confirm things. Their censorship is very aggressive and effective. Three, China has avoided the worst forms of oppression, like, um, you know, even worse than just locking people up and, and restricting their freedoms. And four, they think general Islamophobia. And so if you apply this rubric to other similar type um, uh, injustices, uh, you can see why something like the killing and persecution of the Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar went sharply criticized. Uh, there was outright killing. Uh, there was uh, Myanmar is a small economic power and Facebook is how the genocide was promoted, but it also meant that everyone was able to learn about it quite quickly. Now, America seems to be taking a stand in small ways. In June, Trump signed the Uyghur Human Rights Policy Act of 2020. Pelosi and others have condemned the camps the Uyghur people have been forced into. And this current and this recent stop of, and this re recent banning of imports linked to the camp seems to be helpful. But as long as a million people have been relocated and fo forced into labor camps, I think a stronger response is necessary. Um, I'm a vegetarian. Uh, I don't buy meat. But when I was thinking about this story, just because I don't buy meat, that hasn't done much to stop factory farms, even though I'm uh, quite against them. And so this kind of feels like we're taking the vegetarian <laughs> approach of trying to make ourselves feel better. Instead of, and I'm not, I, I honestly have no idea how to navigate something as uh, difficult as pissing off China. Um, so that's a Wait, little. Matt, can can yep. you elaborate on the analogy, the vegetarian analogy a little bit? So I think, who's China in that analogy and who's the U.S.? Okay. Um, so I, I don't buy meat because I disagree with it, right? And so the U.S. is not going to be buying these hair products and weaves and stuff that uh, were made in it. China or made in, in the, like the re-education camps. Got it. Got it. So it's like not buying. That's good. <laughs> but, right. you know, me not eating meat hasn't <laughs> it, it doesn't stop the main issue. Interesting. Well, I guess, yeah, from that perspective, it's like just boycotting the product itself is like an economic solution for a human rights issue, right? It's not just the fact, it's not just the the fact that they're selling that hair, which is like, gr like horrible, <laughs> which is grotesque and horrible, but it's also the fact that there is even a camp to begin with, which makes it actually kind of a very similar, I guess, interesting analogy to factory farming. Yeah. And I just like saw like um, my friend posted like this one like factory farm video last night and I hadn't I hadn't actually looked at one of those for years. You guys ever remember those coming out like yeah you watch like, a document 
Yeah, yeah. And you're just yeah. like, oh, this is terrifying. Like, I haven't done that in like a decade because yeah. I just. Yeah, also it. just want to make sure also we're like, we're not, I know, like, <laughs> I, in case Eddie was wondering, we're not comparing humans to animals in a factory farm, but just, I guess, the treatment of living beings in general in a horrible situation is bad. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I agree. I, I do expect to see more sanctions on China from around the world, but I think we are so interdependent, which I often talk about in, in national and international news, that what will these sanctions really mean and how will it really hurt them? I mean, I know this is hair products and this is one sector of sanctions, but there's so much more that, that could be sanctioned that could cause much greater problems yeah like why does it have to be a product associated with the camps you know like it doesn't it doesn't actually matter that it they came directly from slave labor i mean that that does that makes it like scary but the country enabling the country doing it like anything that comes from china is tainted by association but that's not you know yeah i mean i think History has shown that the U.S.'s response to human rights violations and the proportion, like how proportional those responses are, are super intertwined with how dependent we are on those countries economically. And I think like Saudi Arabia is a really good example where there's a lot of bad stuff going on there, but we, they're considered an ally in most ways and because of economic and oil, you know, to be blunt, like situations um and i guess like yeah, china we yeah mm-hmm. we ahead, were Jeff. just we were just talking last week about um how human track trafficking and how people who are in desperate situations are often driven to like these very ugly um desperate decisions so i i'll be the first to admit i am not the most well-versed in international relations and i do feel like with globalization there's so many layers on top of layers but i when i when i think of sanctions i think of all of the regular people that suffer and i don't really think that it's going to hit the people that are necessarily making the big choices you know like i it makes me worried for just everyday people that get caught in the middle and then are going to be suffering even more than they already are so i i wish i had an answer for what's happening um in these camps are like the best way to address it but sanctions are a scary word for me yeah that's a good point um and and also they'll breed a lot of like the nationalism that's actually i don't know chinese politics and the well enough to know if the general public is diving into as much nationalism as the the party seems to be um yeah i mean the general the the lockdown in terms of media in China is very strong. So whether the, my understanding is that whether the population believes something different, there's a, there's a lot of factors in ter- and like in terms of personal safety that, um, that's all very much along party lines. Um, mm-hmm. just like in, you know, censorship on the internet, even access to sorts of information like that is very limited. It's my understanding. Yeah. Yeah, and also Jasmine. Yeah, that's a really good point tying in what we talked about last week and who and who was actually affected by sanctions. Um, it's really interesting. 
you know, and then is, is that, that brings up another question. Like are the only two options, economic sanctions and military intervention, which is also not a good option in my mind, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. You need actual, uh, politics again. You would, <laughs> you would need someone, uh, a group of people leading, uh, leading the government to have long-term talks and cooperation with another country to, uh, you know, try to influence them in the correct way, but that's that's not happening. That's one of the things um, that really bothers me about this administration, like the lack of diplomacy um, that we've seen over the last four years. It, you know, the examples that we have had, which we've talked about them a lot on this show, seem like they've been a shit show. Like, how many times have we seen, you know? Um, the orange guy going across the ocean to do diplomacy checks and talks and actual meetings with organizations. Our NGOs aren't even connecting with others that are on uh, on the ground, which is how it's been done before. And so every time we hear stories about international relations, there are these sort of band-aids that come in a form of some crazy meeting that has no results or military intervention or sanctions. Like there's no middle. There used to be a time where we worked on building um, diplomacy across the world. It was a, a, a job done mostly by vice presidents that I can remember, where they would go and they would build um, with the governments of other countries and our NGOs would connect with them um, so that we can do diplomacy in a way that makes sense for the people on the ground. I feel like this this administration, that those concepts totally went out the window. It's like an all or none, you know, it's our way or the highway. You know, and the sanction situation, while it may seem like it's doing something on paper or it kind of puts some sort of opposition up to people's bad behavior, what is really solved by doing that? You know, unless you're going to do a sanction that's actually going to affect the country economically to a point where they will, the whole purpose of a sanction is to tell them that they're doing something incorrect, we don't agree with this. So in order for us to influence the change, we're going to put these sanctions in place so that you can feel that we don't support you. That just doesn't happen anymore. And for them to choose this to be the sanction, we got a lot of work to do. I mean, I think it goes back to what Emily was saying earlier about how what this country does is basically based on like self-interest because we have a Muslim ban basically here. There's been how many Muslim people have been killed because of U.S. military interventions in other countries? How many governments have been destabilized because of U.S. government activity? So the idea that like we as the United States are, are on some moral high ground when, oh, it's like you're treating Muslims so badly like in this country over here, it's like, it's a convenient thing to say to try to make it seem like we're better when there's plenty of human rights violations going on right now. So to me, it's like a lot of it is a show of trying to promote this idea that this country, like I said, like has some kind of moral high ground, but it's really about um, like posturing, basically. I don't think that the intention is really to help regular everyday people like i never really think that that's truly behind any of these decisions yeah well i mean think of the difference between hong kong and uh the uyghurs right hong kong is 
is um, getting a bunch of cracked on and they're, and they're suffering and their, their freedoms are being even further lessened. And, and that's not a good thing at all. But the world comes to their defense and they're in an economic power, like one of the economic centers of that area of the world. And so like people give a shit, but a million people uh, being completely restricted <laughs> doesn't uh, muster the same response. That's a really good point, Matt. And it's, it you know, to do another analogy that might not be totally accurate. I don't know. It's just the amount of money that was raised when Notre Dame was burnt because it's like considered oh God, this yeah. beautiful yes, symbol and how right, fast right. That's right. how fast they raise money and then you know the rest all this other shit that's always happening around the world that really needs funds and is really vital like people are dying over you know like and you know there people are literally like work like trying we're spending their whole lives trying to raise enough money and they can't and it's it's sort of like what we value as I don't know if it's Western society because Notre Dame wasn't even in the U.S., but it's like you know the attention that the that that's focused on those things. You know, yeah. didn't that happen during uh, Hurricane Maria? Like right after that? Oh yeah, I think wasn't there something really, like yeah. crazy where it's yeah, just like right. Americans identify more with a a church in France than with their own territory? I yeah. mean, yeah, I think I think that that really gets to the heart of it. It's like things that. Um, the pow- the people, the powers in the global north associate with Western society, they get the most attention. You know, like there's a lot. I think that you know, when you look at Hong Kong, there's a lot of thinking that oh, they're trying to have like a free, open, democratic um, country. Like they don't want to be taken over by the big bad communist country, and like that narrative is going to jive with the way a lot of global Northwestern people see themselves as like having the right way to lead. So I think that automatically there's going to be a more sympathetic spin on what they're doing when, compared to when you're looking at an oppressed religious minority. You know, in, in this case, we're talking about people who are Muslims and we have a very anti-Muslim government right now. You know, I think that, you know, we get a lot of messages from the media of who is worthy of our sympathy and who we're supposed to feel connected to. And it doesn't necessarily or it very rarely matches up with who actually needs the most help necessarily or the idea that someone is more deserving of it than another. It's just not true. I mean, Flint still doesn't have clean water, but people can raise all types of money for a church that was going to be rebuilt anyway, because it's a symbol of like Western history and all this other stuff. And Western power, you know, we have to think about the power dynamics in these sort of conversations, because I think a lot of the decision-making or not even decision-making, but what we see is the power that's dominated the majority and these other situations that are not the dominant the only reason they're not is because the power is not in their hands, you know, and it'll never be if this is what, if this is how it's always going to go. Woo, woo, woo. (laughs) That was a good one, guys. Definitely. Thank you, Matt, for bringing those incredible national stories. We're going to go ahead and take one more music break uh, before we get into the world story. The next song is Hachala Hundesi, and the song is called Milan Jera. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Objection to the Rule, live on Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, and that last song was by Hachala Hundesi. Um, and the story that I am delivering right now is actually about him as well. So I have drawn Ooh, nice. um, the research from this story from BBC.com, Al Jazeera.com, and CNN.com. Uh, the CNN author, which was the only one listed, is Bethlehem Falecki. So Ethiopia deployed its military in the capital of Addis Ababa on Wednesday to quell a second day of unrest following the killing of the popular protest singer Hachala Hundessa that has left more than 80 people dead. Two sus- suspects were arrested after he was shot dead while driving in the capital. However, police have not yet revealed a motive for his killing and no charges have been brought against the suspects. Hachala was a legendary figure in the Oromo ethnic group. He is known for playing a major part in the 2015 protests that eventually led to the political reforms in Ethiopia in 2018. He was considered a hero, and his songs highlighted frustrations of people in Oromia, where people have been often complaining and known for being marginalized politically, and his music was the undertone for the campaign for political reforms. He was a former political prisoner. At the age of 17, in 2003, Hachala was in prison for five years for his political activities. He grew up looking after cattle and rose to become one of Ethiopia's biggest music stars, mesmerizing fans with his songs about romance and political freedom. Reaction to his death has spread as far as the United States. Ethiopians in Minnesota gathered and wove their country's flags and demonstrations on Wednesday evening. Hachala was laid to rest in a brief private ceremony in his hometown um, in the Ambo region of the Ormoria portion of the country. Protests reflecting anger at his killing of, and his message um, have been rampant all over Ethiopia. And basically all of the marginalized people that he spoke for have stood out and talked about his message and been protesting um, just in his memory because of who he was. NetBlocks, an internet monitoring NGO, reported that inter- that the internet has been cut off in most of Ethiopia from Tuesday at 9 a.m. Ethiopia's government has been previously accused of shutting down internet and telecommunication services during elections and periods of unrest. Ethio Telecom, the country's only telecoms provider, is a government-owned monopoly. Human Rights Watch said that the internet blackout has stoked tensions and increased concerns about protesters being suppressed and urged authorities to restore the connection. They said in a statement, rather than restoring calm, the authorities, internet shutdown, apparent excessive use of force, and arrest of political opposition figures could make the volatile situation even worse. They said that the government should take prompt steps to reverse these actions and risk a deeper slide into crisis. So... 
this is the first time I've ever heard of this singer. Um, his music is definitely very liberating, which I've been listening to for um, the, all day today, just to kind of get a sense of his power. But it's really, you know, something to say that when this man died, the whole country was in duress because of what he stood for. I think it's so prominent in today's society that this is happening globally, that we're seeing he wasn't a martyr, okay? We don't know what happened with his death, but the fact that who he was and what he did brought people to a place of freedom where they felt that they could claim, you know, their, their just who they were as people, their message, what they stand for, what they believe in through him is really big. You know, this isn't a protest of a corrupt government at this very moment. It's a protest about the killing of this man, which we don't even know where it came from. We have no idea who it was as of yet. But I just think it's a really powerful moment in time to kind of see this happening, that protest is not only about, you know, protesting corrupt systems and things of this nature, but also in the name of people who drive people to be their full selves of believing humanity and who they are. So I wanted to take some time to highlight his story. Have you guys ever heard of him before? No. No, I haven't. Yeah, Hachalo Hadesi. He was considered a yeah, Ethiopian yeah. hero. That's um, yeah. That's beautiful. That that, um, that everyone really uh, really connected with him. Um, Ethiopia and Eritrea. Am I saying it right? Eritrea. How do you say the neighboring country? Eritrea. 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 Uh, they didn't. They just finalized like a deal, uh, like a. They, they used to be at war like years and years ago and then they just like finalized like a border treaty recently is that does that sound familiar i feel like do we cover that yeah no you're right we probably have they have been um in talks for a long time and in a conflict for a long time the two regions and it's partially because there are uh, like so many ethnic groups represented by these two countries that the conflicts come from obviously who's going to lead and you know, the typical things that happen when two countries, neighboring countries, border uh, border issues and things of that nature. Um, but he was really, his music and his message was really, really a big part of them having some political reforms in 2018 in Ethiopia that has led to, like, the peace between the two nations. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's incredible. Yeah, like, music and culture are powerful. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I love the fact that he used his platform. He was so young, um, but he used his platform and his art to, you know, make powerful noise. And he represented, you know, freedom and just understanding. He gave the people a voice and he became a worldwide superstar just talking about that. Um, you know, when they, sh I've seen some pictures and I'll post this story up on our Facebook page, but the Ethiopian population in Minnesota was out celebrating their culture, waving their flag. Um, this sort of global reach of an artist, I think it's, we need to see more of this from our artists. You know, there have been a lot of artists that are doing platforms and concerts and things of that nature. And I think that's great. But this is, you know, someone we can look up to and cherish his memory as someone who really used his art for a powerful message, which you guys know really um, resonates with me personally and my whole, you know, platform. So mm -hmm. if it gives me great pleasure to talk about this man. Of course, I'm sad about his death and I definitely will be researching um, in the weeks to come, you know, what happened? How was he murdered? What, what was the reason? But the timing of this um, 
in this moment just needed to be documented, I think. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, I'm, I'm from Minnesota, and there's a lot of uh, refugee settlements, and uh, because of this long history of, uh, that's like where the center just was based, and I can't really remember why. Uh, and so like Ethiopian restaurants and like Ethiopian neighbors was like something I was kind of like used to. Is that not the standard? Is like um, the Ethiopian diaspora? Is it? Is it? Um, any of you grew up around uh, Ethiopians? There was a decent community of them in Cincinnati. When I say decent, like I remember them of any other African community in Cincinnati, um, uh, Ethiopians and Eritreans, and there wasn't like too much of a distinction. Everybody thought everybody was Eritrean because I, I guess there was more of them. But there were a few places where uh, those communities were large, and I know I know a few people from both sides of the diaspora. Um, one one of my roommates when I lived in Harlem was from Eritrea, as she spoke to me about growing up in the middle of the conflict and things of that nature. So they're all over the world, man. Yeah, there's a huge um, community in D.C. There's a lot of refugees from that area resettled in Buffalo and upstate New York. I had a we're not really friends now, but I went to college with someone who was um, from South Carolina, but her family was Ethiopian. Yeah, it's on my bucket list of places to visit in my life. So, um, but yeah, hopefully you all gain something from that. And I will share that story on our Facebook page um, so we can celebrate this hero. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So we have one final story today. And Emily, the birthday girl, Aww. is going to deliver some good news. Happy birthday. Boo. Thank you. Yeah, happy belated. Aww, you guys are yes. too nice. I'm glad Aww. to celebrate you. You're awesome. Thank you for Aww. being a dope ass co-host and driver are... of this show. That's incredible. Oh, you guys are too sweet. I love y'all. Um, but yes, I'm happy. I love presenting the good news. It makes me happy to research the good news. So real quick, um, my good news for today, I got from Tanks Good News and two articles by Susan LaMarca, the primary one being titled, After 126 Years, the Confederate Emblem is Finally Being Removed from Mississippi's State Flag. In the state where 14-year-old Emmett Till was brutally lynched, where civil rights activist Medgar Evers was shot and murdered on his own doorstep, and where many other civil rights leaders have, you know, and between quotes gone missing a law was passed this week removing the confederate emblem from the mississippi state flag the last one in the nation to still incorporate the painful symbol of slavery hatred and violence towards black americans uh, the measure was passed in the house in a vote of 92 to 23 and in the senate 37 to 14 and governor tate reeves has signed it into law uh, a commission will be formed to design a new flag uh, which the state will vote on to uh, whether to approve or reject it on the November ballot this fall. Uh, and Mississippi just won't have a flag until that happens. Uh, there have been previous votes on the removal of the Confederate emblem from the flag, like a failed attempt as recently as 2001. Uh, but in the intervening decades, Black-led activism and recent protests, as well as economic pressure, I'm sure, as the NCAA and other organization, and other similar organizations boycotted postseason play in the state until the symbol was removed, uh, these have all made their mark and shown that change is possible. 
The article describes describes the scene as, quote, many of those present to witness the historic vote became emotional. Lawmakers teared up and many of the public cried or cheered. Uh, and the author of the bill, Speaker of the House Philip Gunn, said, quote, we are better today than we were yesterday. Today, the future has taken root in the present. Today, we and the rest of the nation can look on our state with new eyes, with pride and hope. We are not betraying our heritage. We are fulfilling it. And that's the good news for the day, for the week. <laughs> that's awesome. I'm, I'm really happy about that. That's a big change for people in Mississippi. Uh, one of my friends is from there, and he was on my showcase last week, and he talked about what that really meant for his family. And that's really great to share. You know, awesome. that's happening in a place so deeply rooted in the South. So that's yeah. awesome. Really awesome. Yeah, I can't imagine having having a, a state flag with the fucking Confederacy on it. What what do you think? Uh, what do you think the new flag should should be, if you were designing flag. it? That Minnesota accent coming in strong the with flag. that. Fl- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Minnesota flag's not that great. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what they come up with for sure. I don't I know much, enough about Mississippi. I just wanted to say Mississippi, <laughs> like just be the one flag that's just the name written. <laughs> I think that's really interesting that they're voting on it in the November election. That's pretty yeah. cool. It is cool. I mean, so it's not, they're not, they're not going to have like, from what I'm seeing, it's not like multiple choice. They don't get to choose between options, but it's either yes or no to vote on it. It is interesting. Yeah. I think what we're happen at, if we got to vote on the flag. Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> we're just about out of time though. I think if okay. uh, last thoughts, I guess. Um, yeah, p- post on the, the Facebook flag ideas for the objection to the rule. Yeah, flag, flag, whatever he's trying flag. to say. <laughs> yeah, right, I mean, I think it's great they're getting rid of it considering why those flags and a lot of these other monuments to the Confederacy came about. Like, I think it's really significant um, that they're coming down now. And I'm happy for people who are able to see in their lifetime, like, how these things that were erected to terrify them are being taken down before they pass away. So, yeah. That's good news. Thank you, Emily. All right, guys. Well, I think that's it for this week's Objection to the Rule. Thank you for listening. You can catch all of our older episodes on the Radio Free Brooklyn website or the app or anywhere where iTunes podcasts are kept and held. Be sure to make sure... You check us out next Sunday for another wonderful episode and keep listening to Radio Free Brooklyn for more independent Brooklyn media. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.